0: In my heart, heart breaks to confess that even while you hold me is a go and make your way back to your seats. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I'll give you guys just a second to make your way back to your seats. As we always say, we encourage you to continue those conversations after the gathering. We uh, enjoy the uh, trip and hopefully it can continue after, uh, after the service. If you are uh, a guest with us this morning, welcome. My name is Blake Hilgenfeld, one of the pastors here at Providence Road, and we're very grateful and thankful that you are here with us uh, this morning. If you are a guest, we have been going through uh, a series on the book of Genesis. And so uh, this morning we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 22, So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there, Genesis chapter 22. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There's one under the seat in front of you. Uh, The verses will eventually be on the screen as well. Can I get these house lights to go up a little bit? Thanks, I like to be able to see you guys. There we go. So Genesis chapter 22, and as Jay said, hey, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take one home with you after the gathering. We want you to have uh, the Word of God, so it's a gift from us to you. So uh, again, if you don't have a Bible, please take one home with you after, after the gathering. Let's start reading in verse one. Genesis chapter two, verse one. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he says, here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I should tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went out, went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And when they came to the place in which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay a hand on that boy. Or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing that you have withheld your son, not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham and a second time from heaven and said, but by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, heavens and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young man and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived in Beersheba. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask that you would do your work of giving us eyes to see and giving us ears to hear as we come to your word this morning. And we ask that your spirit would move in a mighty way this morning to give us understanding, to convict our hearts. Father, as we're gonna see this morning, our hearts have this tendency to take the things that you have given us and make them ultimate in our lives. To look to the external things that you have given to us and love them more than we love you. So Father, we ask that as we look at your word that we would see you in your glory and your greatness and that we would trust you with everything in our lives and that we would see that you are ultimate and that our hearts would be led to this place of freedom and knowing and experiencing and tasting your goodness that we would love you above everything else in our lives. For that is why you created us and that is why you have made us. So bring us to that place of freedom and joy this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before God created human beings in Genesis chapter 1, he created a world full of things that were made to serve and bless human beings. And so he created all of these external things, and God had given them to human beings for the purpose of serving them and blessing them. So, for example, God has given to us food. And food is meant to be uh, provided for us to sustain our lives. It's meant to bless us. It's meant to to serve us. And God created human beings. He created not just one human being in in Adam, but he created two human beings in Eve. And he continued to to multiply and fill this earth with human beings. But the purpose of really human beings was to, to serve one another and bless each other and multiply and fill the earth. And so all of these created external things God had given to us, they're gifts that he has given to us to bless us and serve us. But deep within the human heart, God created a place that, was, that is reserved for him and him alone. So internally, God has created this place where he is to take up residence within the throne of our hearts and he is to be the, the center of our focus and our longing and our desires And our souls are meant to look to God as the source of all protection and intimacy and and, and happiness and, and security. And as we look to God to be the source of these things for us, then our souls would find great rest and peace and joy and happiness as we make God the center of everything in our lives. But as we have seen, as we've gone through the story of the the book of, of Genesis, there has been this exchange that has taken place. So instead of us looking to God to be the source of everything to us, to be the source of security and happiness and, and, uh, and pleasure and all those things, we have actually taken the external things and we have taken them and placed them on the throne of our souls and our hearts. So no longer... Do our hearts and souls naturally desire and love God above all things, but instead internally we have this capacity and this tendency for our hearts to love and cherish the external things more than God? This is why when we think about losing uh, let's say our savings account or our retirement account, or we, we think about losing someone we love, maybe a spouse or a, a child, it brings us to this place of despair, which causes us to ask the, or really ask the question to ourselves, can we go on living if we lost them? I mean, even the thought of losing a spouse or a child or, or our savings account or retirement account or whatever it is that's external, we think about these things and we say, can I really go on in this life living if I lose them? And, and the reason why we feel this and the reason why we kind of go to this place is because at times we make the external things ultimate in our lives and we can't live without them. But our souls were never, never meant to, to be like this. Life was never meant to, for us to experience this, this, this dependency upon the external, the way in which we are dependent upon the external here and now. It never was meant to be. And so God intends to show us that this way of living... This way of taking the external and and placing them on the throne of our hearts and our lives to make them ultimate, it actually ruins our souls. There's no freedom, there's no joy in making the external things ultimate in our lives. The only thing that really brings us is fear, right? I mean, when we make things ultimate, take a spouse, take a child, and we begin to think about what if we lose them, the only thing that produces is fear and anxiety, and insecurity because we have placed them in a place that they were never meant to, intended to be and they become ultimate in our lives. And so this morning, God wants to teach us and and teaching us this is is gonna be really, really challenging as we're gonna see in Abraham's life and in our lives. He, He wants us to teach us that the way to true freedom and the way to true joy for our souls and the way to true life is this, to have everything yet possess nothing but him is true freedom and joy for our souls. So let me say that again. To have everything, yet possess nothing but him is true freedom and joy for our souls. But the secret to this, to, to, to this uh, experiencing this cannot be, cannot be taught in just a book of theology. It actually has to be learned in the school of giving things up. It has to be experienced when God comes to each and every one of us and he says to us, he says this, this right here, it's he, her, you have made them ultimate. You have made them your prized possession You are loving them or it, he, her, whatever it is, you are loving them more. You have placed them the center of your heart and your affections. Give them up. Give them to me. And you will finally taste and see that to have me is your true source of freedom and joy for our souls. This is what we learn primarily or ultimately in the story of Abraham and Isaac. Now, let me give us a little bit of backstory because we've kind of skipped a little bit since last Sunday. So in Genesis chapter 21, The long-awaited promise of this child has been given to Abraham. So Sarah, Abraham's wife, conceives and she bore a son named Isaac. Now it's through this child that God had promised Abraham to make him this mighty nation that he's going to bless all the other nations of the earth through this promised child named Isaac. And so now Abraham has this child. He's been waiting years and years and years to, to receive this promised child. Now he has this promised child. And as Isaac grew up, so did Abraham's love and affection for his son. Now it isn't, it's not very difficult for us, right, especially as parents, to understand the delight and the joy and the desire that Abraham would have had for his son Isaac. And God, in verse 2, goes out of his way to point this out to Abraham. He, he describes Isaac as Abraham's one and only son whom he loves, whom he adores, who, who, who he, he is everything to him. I mean, do you, do you know that kind of love that is so deep at times it hurts? This is the love that Abraham would have had for his son Isaac. Now I've only experienced this kind of love when I too became a parent. The love that you can have for another human being that is so deep that at times it hurts, especially when you begin to think about the loss of them or losing them. And so here we have Abraham and here we have the long awaited promise son And as Isaac grew up, Abraham's love and affection for his son caused him to do some pretty crazy things as our our hearts do. Our our, our hearts, because of the the way in which they are are now made or the way in which we have fallen into this capacity, we have this capacity now to take that which we love the most and elevate them to a place they were never meant meant to be. And this is where Abraham finds himself. He has taken Isaac and he has placed him on the throne of his heart. And now God comes to him in verse two and says, give him up, give him to me. He's saying, you have taken Isaac and you have placed him on this place that is only reserved for me. So ultimately, he's saying to Abraham, Abraham, you have made Isaac everything to you. He is the emotional center of your heart and he is your hope. He is the promise of your salvation. I mean, let's think about just for a moment what Abraham actually gave up to receive this son. He gave up security. He gave up his family. He gave up his home. He gave up everything. He gave up everything to receive this promised child, and now that he has this promised child, he's looking to Isaac to be everything to him, and God comes to him and says this amazing and most challenging and difficult thing that Abraham has ever experienced, and he says, give him to me. I want you to take him to the land of Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him. Now, Listen closely, the the, the author of Genesis, Moses, does not give us any details, right? He doesn't give us any details on what Abraham actually experienced that night. So so we don't really know what what Abraham wrestled with or, or what he was thinking or what he was feeling. But as one author said, probably not again until Jesus wrestled With the voice of his father in the garden of Gethsemane. When the father says to him, you are to basically give up your life and sacrifice your life to do my will of redeeming a people for myself. And Jesus is wrestling with the garden and he's wrestling with this call or this voice of his father asking him to do something. Not again until this time did ever a soul feel, feel the pain that Abraham probably felt that night. I mean, even the thought right now, right? I mean, even the thought, Of losing something so precious, of giving up something so valuable in a child, causes the human soul to experience the deepest pain unlike anything else that the soul can ever experience. To lose something that you love so deeply and so desperately. Especially as a, as a child. And so what is Abraham to do? What would you do? It's hard to believe. It's hard for me to believe. But we see that Abraham obeyed God, didn't he? He did what God commanded him to do. In verse 3, Abraham rose early in the morning. So the call came, hey, take your son and go to the land of Moriah and and offer him there as a sacrifice. And quickly, in verse 3, it says Abraham rose early. And he packed up the necessary items for the sacrifice, including the sacrifice itself, his son. And he heads to the land of Moriah. But how could he do this? I mean, how can Abraham actually obey the voice of God and the command that God placed upon his life and actually take this step of journey of taking his son and actually sacrificing him? How was he able to do this? How would you be able to do it? I mean, how are we able to obey the commands of God when he comes to us and he calls to us and he places some really, really challenging and difficult things in our life to actually obey his voice and do what he's asking us to do. How do we do it? How did Abraham do it? Look at verse four. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I with the boy will go over there and worship And come again to you. There's a clue there. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. He said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself, the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. So in pain, in grief, in this time of uncertainty, he doesn't, Abraham has no clue as to what was about to happen, but Abraham obeyed the command of God upon his life. But how? Was it that he just kind of simply said to himself, he tried to get enough willpower to say, Abraham, man, I know that you can do it. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. I have to obey, I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to. Or maybe it was just the power of positive thinking, right? That uh, Abraham thought to himself, Abraham, all right, man, don't, don't think about these negative thoughts are coming to your head. Don't think about what's coming to the future. Don't think about what you're going to have to do to actually sacrifice your son like you would an animal. Just think positive thoughts, right? Like take the negative and, and place the positive on it. And by thinking the positive, something good is going to happen. Some blessing is going to come by just thinking positively. Or maybe you had enough time to create some vision board, right? So that That maybe by this vision board is going to promise him something really, really good in the future. Just believe in this this vision board that he creates. How did he do it? How was he able to obey the commands of God in the most difficult time of his life? Trust. It was faith in the midst of the most painful and dark time of his life, in the midst of of the most difficult command that God had ever placed on his life, he trusted God. I'm assuming like in the midst of this, right? We all experience this. When something comes into our life, some circumstance that we're called to trust God, we go to this place of asking ourselves this question, why? Why is God doing this? Surely he's not asking me to do this. Surely, uh, surely this is not what he's calling me to. I mean, Abraham probably was wrestling with this question of why. And Abraham does the only thing that he can do, and the only thing that we can do in the times of the darkness and times of the voice of God coming to us and saying, "Trust me." We actually trust him. We trust in his goodness. We trust that he is faithful. I mean, think about this dialogue between the father and the son. Feel it. See it. Here you have the son Isaac, and he asks his father, he says, Father, I, I, see the, uh, I, I see the fire, I see the wood, but where is the actual sacrifice? Where is the animal?" And and Abraham knows, right? He knows that his son is the sacrifice. And he says to his son, I am assuming with just tears welling up inside of him, he says, son, God will provide. I don't know how. I don't know how he's going to do it but God will provide. He has no clue on how God will provide for him in the future. He only trusts in the character and nature of God that he will provide. I mean, he even says in verse five, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna take my son, I'm gonna go worship, but what does he say? We're coming back. He, he even says in Hebrews eleven nineteen. 19, listen to this. He says to us in, in Hebrews eleven nineteen. 19, he trusts God that he is so powerful, that he is so great, that even if God does not provide a sacrifice, this substitute to spare Isaac's life, that God would raise his son from the dead. So he trusted. What's the point What's the, what's the point of this? Like, how, how are we to respond to God's word this morning? It's this. What we see in Abraham is that true faith produces amazing works. Let me say that again. True faith produces amazing works. This was Abraham's ultimate test of faith. Would he trust God with everything in his life, including or that which is most important to him, that which was everything to him, his one and only son, whom he deeply loved? Was he going to trust the very character and nature of God when God's voice comes to him and says, Give him up? True faith produces amazing works. So listen very carefully. To be a Christian is to believe and obey the very word of God. So it's believing, but it's also obeying. It is faith working itself out in works. Works does not save us. It is by faith that we believe and therefore we are saved when we put our faith and trust in Christ But if we have true faith and trust in Christ, it works itself out in obedience. It works itself out in faith. So again, when God comes to you and he says, believe me, trust me, that if you turn to my son, and you receive him, and you trust in his life and death and resurrection, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. If you hear his word, and you obey his word, and by obeying his word, you you actually trust and receive the Son, you will have everlasting life. But true faith, therefore, after that, it works itself out in obedience. It works itself out in trusting God when he comes and says, follow me. So for example, James chapter 2 verse 18 says this. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? So how do we know that Abraham had true faith? He obeyed God. And so listen very carefully this morning. If all you have is faith and no works then your faith is dead. You don't have true faith. If all you have is this belief in God and there's no evidence in your life to desire and to follow the commands of Christ that he places upon our life, then you need to examine yourself to see if you have true faith. Because the same is true for us today. Abraham believed God, and the evidence of his faith was to obey, and obedience, all right, reveals and shows that we have true faith. Examine your heart, examine your life. It's not enough just to simply believe there is God, or believe that Jesus existed, or even believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If you have true faith in Christ and you receive Christ, there is now going to be this evidence, the desire within you actually to obey the commands of Christ in your life. Do you have that? Examine ourselves. But listen, it's not just blind faith that we're talking about here. Abraham didn't have just blind faith. There was something deeper that he believed in. There was something deeper that he looked to. He he looked to God, but there was something about God and about his character and nature that actually enabled him to do what what God was asking him to do. So at the very heart of faith lies God, but there lies something that, that is about God that enables us to trust him. And what is that? Well, it's ultimately that God is faithful to do whatever he promises to do. That he promises to be what he promises to be for us. That God is good, that he is faithful, that he will provide, that he loves us. Listen, if Abraham did not believe that God was gracious, that he was loving, that, that God was for his good, then he never would have been able to sacrifice his son. He, he never would have been able to take the steps to take that journey. He would have been hopeless. He would have been crushed if he did not believe in the goodness of God. He believed in the very character and nature of God, that God was good, that he is loving, that he is faithful to provide. And so he walked in that faith and taking steps of obedience and he listened to God and did what God told him to do. And so what did God do for Abraham? He said, do not lay a hand on a boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, that you love God, that you adore him, that you are in awe of him, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, and caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh is the Lord's name. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel, call, the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in the offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God provided. That's who he is. Abraham says that is his name. The Lord will provide. God provided a substitute for Isaac. Abraham, right, he didn't know how God was going to provide. He just trusted that God would provide, and God provided. That is his name. And I'm assuming at this point, in the story, there is not another joyous, joyful sacrifice, right? I mean, here you have Abraham. He lays Isaac on the altar. He's about to take Isaac's life, and the angel Lord comes to him and stops and said, Do not harm him. Here's a sacrifice. I know your heart. I know that you love me. I know that you adore me. I know that you worship me, that you are in awe of me, that you desire me above your son. I know that now because I see that you are willing to give up that which is ultimate in your life. And so God comes and provides this provision, this sacrifice, this substitute. And there is worship that takes place during that time. Now listen, I don't think that the provision is the main focus of this story i don't think that we should really get focused on the provision that god provided because as we're going to see like god doesn't always provide the way in which we want him to provide And so the the, the purpose of this whole story isn't necessarily that God provides this sacrifice. So we'll see in, in just a moment that a sacrifice is really, 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 really key to this. But there's something deeper going on here that we can't miss. You see, the whole really kind of point of this story is about redemption. That God is redeeming Abraham's heart. That he's restoring himself back on the throne of Abraham's heart. And so as the ram is being consumed by the fire, Abraham's heart is now free. He's free at this point because here is his, now his reality. He had Isaac, but he didn't possess Isaac anymore. He gave him up. He, he, he gave him up to the Lord. And so as a result of this, as a, as a result of not possessing Isaac to this place where he couldn't live without Isaac, he had given him to the Lord. He has him, he, so he's now able to enjoy him the way in which God meant to, for him to be enjoyed. But now Abraham's heart is in this place where he's able to say to the Lord, he's able to say, all I have and all I am Is yours. I trust you with everything because ultimately I know that you're good. Ultimately I know that you love me. Ultimately I know that you will provide for me. Ultimately, you know, I can trust you. But more importantly, everything that I have, my life, and everything in it is yours because you and not my son are the most precious and ultimate thing in my life. I love you. I adore you. You are everything. The story is about redemption. And the same is true for us. Do you know that God is working everything in your life to redeem your hearts? He's working everything in our lives to make him ultimate in our lives. But here's really, really something that we really need to look at and be reminded of. We don't know how he will do this. The story of God redeeming our hearts and our lives may not be written the way in which we want them to be written. The darkness that we experience, the pain that we face, the losses that we have, The pain of unanswered questions. At times, they lead us to this place of despair. It isn't easy. And it's most certainly painful. But in the midst of our pain, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of grief, in the midst of loss, God is bringing us to this place that we will see that He is sufficient, that He is enough. That he is the ultimate gift, not the provision and not the gifts in our lives because, listen, he may not provide the way in which you want him to provide. He he may not bring the healing that you desire in this life. And and he may not provide financially the way in which you want him to provide for you financially. He may not uh, provide on your timetable. And he may take things from us that we deeply love and we deeply cherish. But at the heart of all of this, it's meant to take us to this place where we see that he is enough, that he's sufficient, that he's everything to us. And so just like Abraham, the way that God wants to teach us is, this, is in the school of giving things up. Of him coming to us and saying, listen, this, this right here, you are loving more than me. It's enslaving you. It's, it's, it's controlling your life. It's, it's ruining your soul because you are loving it more than you love me. You have placed it in a place that is never meant to be. And you've placed it on the throne of your heart. And now you're enslaved to it. Give it to me but I do think that the ultimate place that we see and that God teaches us and shows us, this place where our hearts can finally be free to love him above everything in our lives is another sacrifice that he actually made on our behalf. So let this sink deep within your soul. Let this truth I'm about to read Let it restore the throne of God in our hearts and let it cause us to come to this place where we see the sacrifice that God ultimately made for us that enables us to follow Christ and trust him with everything in our life to say, here it is, I give it to you because I see that you are so good and that you're so loving and I can trust you with everything in my life. Listen to this truth. Romans 8, 31 and 32. Let this truth sink in. Paul probably had this story of Abraham and Isaac in his mind when he says this. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Let us just stop And let us look at the cross. Do you see the son of God? Do you see his body broken? Do you see his blood shed? God did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for you and he gave him up for me to redeem and save our souls. I mean, just the thought of Abraham, right? The thought of Abraham having to take his son and sacrifice his son and slaughter his son. Oh, the grief. I mean, oh, the pain that he must have felt was the deepest pain that any soul could ever, ever feel. But God, God did not spare his son. But God gave him up for you and for me. He led him up to a hill, right? And the son took the wood upon himself, the wood of the cross, and he made that long journey. He didn't run away. He took the cross upon himself and he willingly laid down his life on the cross and the Father crushed him. on the hill... By the Father crushing and not sparing his son, he made the ultimate sacrifice and giving up his son so that we could receive the ultimate gift, and that is God Himself. And so it's through this sacrifice that he wants us to see. He wants us, he wants to show show us that in everything in our lives. No matter what you go through, no matter the losses that we feel, no matter the pain that we feel, no matter the the difficult things that God is asking us to do, we can see the sacrifice of the Son of God that God did not spare him, but he gave him up for us all so we can see that God is for us. Always. That in the unanswered questions the thing that we can be certain of, that we may not know how God will provide, but we can trust you will provide because I see that you did not spare your own son, but you gave him up for me to redeem me and bring you to my, uh, me to yourself so that I trust you. It's meant to take us to this place where we ask ourselves this question. What do I love the most in this life? What do you love the most? Ask yourself the question. What is in your life that you feel like if you lost, that you would not be able to go on living? Whatever that is, you've made it ultimate. And God comes to us this morning. He says, give it to me. Trust me with it. And our response is to come back to him and say, I trust you. With open hands, I, I give it to you. I, I give my kids to you. I trust that my kids, whom I deeply love, and when I think about losing them, the thought of it, makes me feel like I can't go on living or my spouse or my money, my, my, my savings account, my, my, my retirement account, these things I look to and I hold on to so deeply and so desperately that I can't live without them. And he says to us, he said, like, give it to me. And we come to him and we say, all right, I trust you with it because I know that you're good and that you're faithful and that you will provide in your way if, you, if I trust you with everything in my life. So here it is. Here it is. I let it go. I give it to you. He wants to bring us to this place where we see that he is sufficient for everything in our lives. That he's good, that he's always good and that he will always provide. And he always leads us to this place of trust then even if something happens to me, even if something happens to you who I love, anything something happens to my kids, anything happens to my, my wife, my parents, those of us in Christ, even if we lose them in this life, we can always trust, as Abraham did, that one day God will raise us from the dead, just like he did Jesus. You know, death is that which we probably fear the most, Right? We fear because it takes from us that which we love the most. But because God did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, and He raised Him from the dead, He defeated death. And He promises to one day come and restore all things back to Himself in the new heavens and the new earth. And, and, and the resurrection tells us this. So, as I mentioned earlier, guys, this life. God may not write the story the way we want him to write this story. He may not provide the way in which we want him to provide, but he will always provide, always. Because he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how can we not trust him with all things in our life? He's good. He's faithful. And he loves us. And we can trust him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful and thankful for your word and we're thankful and grateful for your son that through the sacrifice of your son for us demonstrates and shows us that you are always faithful, that we can trust you, that you'll provide for us no matter if our life circumstances tell us something different. And so, Father, we celebrate the sacrifice, the substitute that was made on our behalf to bring us to yourself. And it's because of who you are and seeing who you are and trusting who you are that enables us to walk in obedience to you, to do whatever you're asking us to do. So we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. The night that Jesus... was to go to the cross or the night before he was to go to the cross he was eating with his disciples and he takes a loaf of bread and he breaks it and he says this is my body which is going to be broken for you then he takes the cup and he says this is my blood which is going to be shed for you it's going to be poured out to redeem my people It's going to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to serve as a substitute. I'm going to serve as the sacrifice to take the place of my people to redeem them. So this is what I want us to do in this moment. I want us to take a few moments and I want us to to look at the the bread and to look at the, the cup and let it serve as a reminder That God did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for you and he gave him up for me to redeem us and to save our souls and to redeem our hearts. He didn't have to do this. It was right for him to never send his son in the first place. To never send his son to be a substitute to be a sacrifice for us we deserve nothing but separation from him but God in his great mercy and his love for us he sent his son to be the sacrifice to be the substitute to take the wood to take the cross upon himself and to die this death as our in our place to redeem and save us So I want us to spend a few moments and I want us to think about this sacrifice. I want us to think about Jesus as our substitute and I want us to see and to savor and to taste his goodness and to see that he is ultimate and maybe spend some time reflecting on the things in our lives that maybe we have made ultimate, that we've we've placed in his place on the throne of our hearts and give it to him. Give it back. Confess it. And receive the grace and the mercy that he offers to us through his body broken and his blood shed upon the cross to wipe that away and to forgive us for taking external things and making them more important than he. When you're ready... I want you to come and I want you to celebrate what Christ has done for us. But listen, if you are not in Christ, if you're, if you're not a, a, a believer in Christ, if you've not listened to the Father's voice when he says, hey, all who turn to my son and believe in him will have everlasting life. You will not perish. If you've never... Listen to his voice, and obeyed his voice, and put your trust and faith in Christ. If that is not you, I want you to spend some time right where you're at, reflecting and thinking about some of the things that you heard this morning. This is for those who put their faith and trust in Christ, and who have obeyed the voice of the Father, and, and turned to Christ. And so for those who have done that, for those who are trusting and obeying Christ in his voice and have received him as your hope and your salvation, I want you to come when you're ready and I want you to celebrate by taking the Lord's Supper.